Welcome to Spirit of the Midwest, a show featuring interviews and stories that expose the deep values and pride found in the heart of America. My name is Wesley Noble, and I'm here today with my co-host, C.K. Hicks. And we are here today with Adam Stachowiak. He is a programmer, podcaster, and content extraordinaire. Uh, Adam, thank you for taking time to be with us today. Hey, you're welcome, man. I'm glad to be here. Yeah, and it's it's been a pleasure. Uh, you know, I got to know you, I think, through podcasting, actually, um, through listening to your show, The Changelog, and uh, ultimately just kind of got to meet each other at a conference that we have here locally in the Midwest and a couple other little things. And so it's it's going to be fun to kind of go through. And usually what we do is we just ask people to tell us a little bit about kind of where they came from, what brought them to where they are today, and kind of what you're doing right now. Okay, so a little history on us, I guess. My podcast is called The Changelog. It's been, uh, it started in 2009. And so the odd thing about you and I meeting CK was that it was, we, we met at a, at a design conference of all things, right? <laughs> yep. I mean, uh, so I'm not just a programmer. I'm a more of like a front-end developer, uh, designer turned front-end developer turned podcaster turned jack of all trades. Nice. I love dabbling in things. And uh, I, I guess if the audience wants my real deep history, it it's more like I don't think I should have been where I'm at today. And what I mean by that is that I grew up poor. You know, when I was two and a half, my dad died. I'm going all the way back. And, you know, I grew up with a mom only, brother, poor, didn't get influenced by anybody into computer science, didn't get influenced by anybody into design. And I stumbled every way into where I'm at today. Hmm. And it's a unique story in my opinion. Because I look back and I think, how in the world did I get here? Because when I was 18, I went to the military. Uh, every man in my family, dad, brother, uncles, grandfathers, all been in the military. Love this country. I think it's worth fighting for. And that's why I went in. I went to the military, didn't go to college, didn't go to design school, didn't go to programming school, didn't go to like get a CS degree. And somehow I'm at this road I'm at now, which is running a podcast called The Change Log covering open source software development, loving software development, loving design, loving user experience. Hmm. And I, I think my past is sort of unique. And I don't really think I should be where I'm at today because it's just like, how do you get here yeah. from, where I, from where I came from, you know? No, that's mm. that's really neat, and I, I love how you describe the the kind of legacy that you had even within your family, but then um, making choices kind of as they came to you. It sounds like you had a lot of things that happened to you earlier in life, and then you kind of started happening to things later on as uh, you know you you came across things you wanted to learn or things you wanted to go after and stuff like that. So what now? What was the like the ramp up once you got it started getting into some computer stuff on dabbling and I know you're huge in the open source community and you know you really push for those standards like what was there anything that kind of triggered that and then kind of took you down that rabbit hole or it was it like as you started to uncover stuff you just found more and more you wanted to learn so I would say from a from an open open source perspective I sort of stumbled into it with a friend so back in 2009 when the change law began, me and a friend, Win Netherland, who now works at GitHub, he runs their API. So if you've messed with GitHub's API or even used it, uh, Win is one of the guys behind it, hmm. uh, among many other other team members. But we started the change law back in 2009. That's where I got exposed to 
that's not exactly where, but that's where I started to really understand what the importance of and what the future of open source would be to the world we live in today. Because there is nowhere you can go today without running knee deep into open source. Yeah, Companies are throwing money at it. Uh, I mean, you just, you name it, everyone is clamoring over what open source software development is doing for today's software development worlds. And the way of proprietary software has gone away uh, open source is the way of the future. The community's behind it. GitHub's pioneered the way for the community to collaborate around it, and they've just made a whole new way to develop software that was begun from way, way, way back when. Mm-hmm. I can go further back, though, because I can remember back in 2001 when, before I'd even touched a computer, theoretically, like I said, I, I grew up in a world where I was poor, I didn't own a computer when I was growing up. I didn't have an internet address at the age of 17 <laughs> like everybody else does these days. I didn't have an Instagram. I didn't have a Twitter. I grew up in a world where computers weren't in your everyday life. And uh, and I got, a, I got a job in a very unique way. I'm going to tell a little bit of my story that almost no one knows about unless you're really, really close to me. So Ooh, exclusive. This, is, this, is, this is sort of like behind the scenes, Adam Stack. <laughs> yeah. Um, in 2001... Very uniquely, I got out of the military, I moved to Florida, and I wanted to get into this this school in Florida, in Orlando, Florida, called Full Sail. Mm-hmm. And they teach people how to produce films, right? Film, It's a film school. Yeah. I had a friend who just graduated, which actually the friend I work with now, his name's Donald Kilgore, very talented. Um, work with him on stuff we're working on today, which we'll cover, I'm sure, later in this podcast. But I was in a place where I was a server at Rainforest Cafe, well, I was probably maybe, maybe making a hundred bucks in a night, maybe. And if I made a hundred bucks, I was excited. <laughs> you know, that's, that's where I was at. I was poor. I was hungry. I was foolish. And out of nowhere, I went to see a friend of mine who was supposed to DJ at a club, which turned out to not be a really great DJ. He was really bad, <laughs> uh, but a great friend. But by happenstance, I met this guy named Sean Hughes who ran, who was, a sales manager for this company called Muzak. So M A or M U Z A K. Yeah. If you've ever heard of this company, Muzak, Muzak.com, still around. Mm-hmm. Um, that that moment to me was like such a huge pivot point for me. And and almost no one knows about it because this was the kind of company that it's just so weird. It's so weird to repaint this this history because I met this guy and I introduced myself to him because that's just the kind of person I am. I just go up to people and say, hey. You're a friend of my friends. Uh, I'm I'm kind of missing. I'm skipping some points of the story for for brevity, but sure, sure. Um, but I introduced myself to him. He's like, hey, by the way, I'm you know Sean. I'm I I uh, work at this company called Muzak. I'm hiring somebody in sales, and you seem like a really interesting person. Would you mind interviewing for the job? And I was interviewing for an inside sales position, and this is where I think I learned the crux of what I know today, which is sales. I think everybody out there should know something about sales. Mm-hmm. And it's not like persuading or, you know, getting somebody to buy something they don't want to buy. It's about really helping people. And to me, when I look back on my history, everything begins when I started to, to work at Muzak and get interested in what they're doing. Because they were a well-designed, well-branded company who cared about their customers, who served, uh, you know, quarter million customers in the US, United States, had 200 offices throughout the United States. And ultimately, over my two-year two year history with them, I became one of the top five salespeople 
in less than a year and a half at that company. Nice. And it wasn't because I was like super awesome. It was just because I cared. And when I look back on that, it's like, that's, that's when my life changed. Hmm. Cause I didn't go to school. I went into the military. I didn't have any influencers. Nobody said, Hey Adam, you should get into branding or design or software development. That was the unique pivot point for me. Yeah. That's really neat. So it was very much just a, you saw an opportunity and you realized if you kind of buckled down and worked really hard that you could go somewhere and then doors kept opening and you kept pushing through them and, and yeah. eventually kind of stumbled into this <laughs> where you are today. Sometimes I would slam those doors open because sometimes <laughs> you just can't hold me back. That's excellent. And I don't mean that in a negative way I'm, or like an overboasting way. I just mean like sometimes you just see an opportunity and you just have to push through the door. Yeah. That's awesome. And sometimes it's a slammed open door. And I, I like doing that because that's fun too, right? <laughs> yeah, that, that's really cool. So can you talk a little bit about where you are today? Where am I today? Okay, so to, to earmark today, I have to rewind at least a couple of years because I would say in 2011, things started to change more. And to paint some history there, I was a freelancer. I was working as a UX designer, a designer, um, a marketer, kind of a jack of all, do some things in my freelance world. I didn't really have a lot of aim freelance wise, but I had run several podcasts. I had a couple podcasts that were pretty notable, I guess to say. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I guess in 2011, a lot of things started to, to change because we started to focus a bit more on the change log, where it was going. It, it still never had a business model behind it. Up until 2013, this podcast that you all know me most for, hopefully today, had no business model until like five years after it had been incepted. It didn't really make much of any sort of money besides breaking even, if that. Hmm. Um, but where I'm at today is, is, I guess, an evolution of 2011 to today, uh, running this podcast, kind of building things up. I started working at a nonprofit called Pure Charity. Um, I got a huge heart for everyone at Pure Charity. PureCharity.com, by the way, if you're if you're going to the internet to look it up. Mm-hmm. Um, great, great bunch of people there. Some really great, talented people. That, some of the most talented people I've ever worked with in my entire life have worked there. And some of the most deepest learning I've learned about building a product, building a company, marketing a company, branding a company, building a company ha- had started at Pure Charity. And that's mm-hmm. why I say I had to kind of rewind a little bit because I yeah. didn't start working there until June of 2011. And yet again, Win Netherland, he uh, he was the CTO that got brought on when Pure Trading first started, and I was um, his first choice of team members to bring onto the team. And so I joined Win at Pure Charity, and I worked there until uh, I guess until February of this year. Wow! So that's that's sort of how I got to today. Yeah, what do you want to know about today? Well, and and so a cool thing about today is the reason that you worked there until February is because you had a pretty cool change happen in your podcasting life. Yeah. Um, in 2013, um, again, going back to Win, going back to Pure Charity, Win worked with me at Pure Charity. He got an offer like many would love to get in that day and age from GitHub to come work there. And it was like getting called to the majors, he said. He's like, you know, Adam, I just can't not accept this position. I'm like, dude, I, I get it. 
I get it. I wish you could stay because we have a really cool mission, really changing the world. Mm-hmm. But as much as I care about changing the world in one way, I care about changing the world in other ways too. Yeah. And he loves open source just as much as I do. And he's a huge influencer, great Rubyist, great API developer, great guy. And he stepped away to go to to GitHub. And um, and I think a lot of what changed there was was at the same time he was thinking about he was thinking about family, he was thinking about GitHub, he was thinking about how is his life changing, and ultimately he just sort of lost some time and some attention to what we were doing with the changelog. And again, it had no business model. It wasn't making any money. It was a company, but it wasn't, it didn't really have a lot of like oomph or direction. Mm -hmm. And so ultimately he just sort of said, Hey, I need to step aside from this. I'm going to focus on my family focus on GitHub. And I was at a crossroads and, uh, this is probably like August, 2013. See if I got the years right. Yeah, I think it's, I think the years are right. Um, it, yeah, it's definitely not 2012. Maybe it's 2012. No, it's not 2012. It's 2013 for sure. It's sometimes when you get when you look back, you're like, "What year was that? When did that happen?" <laughs> so definitely 2013, August 2013. He stepped away, and I was like, "I could let what what is known as the change log today, maybe not today, I could let it die, or I can pick it up and run with it on my own, which could be a, a fun challenge." And find out how to make something with it. And I decided the harder road because that's what you should, you should do in life. You should try <laughs> to at least put some pressure on yourself. And I was like, okay. At the time, the site was on Tumblr. The podcast was wrapped up in in uh, Buzzsprout. Uh, it it really had it really had no core to it. And uh, I decided to rebuild the site on WordPress. So we moved from Tumblr to WordPress. I decided to re- rethink the business model. And, and long story short, over a few months, I collected some new team members, Andrew Thorpe, who uh, is not part of the team now today, but he's gone on to work at Stripe. So hmm. I have a bad habit of touching people who become really awesome developers at really cool <laughs> companies. Um, but it's a good habit, I think, really. Yeah. So Andrew Thorpe, uh, Jared Santo came on the team at the same time, who Jared Santo, as you might know, is the co-host, co-host of, the, of the show now. Awesome dude, love that guy to 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 the nth degree, and we've just been building this podcast, this blog, this weekly email, and actually a nightly email and a films company. Over all that time, I can go back in some of that history and and dive deeper as you'd like, but that's sort mm-hmm. of a snapshot of like 2011 pure charity kind of crashing with wind going to GitHub and re you know re redoing what we were doing at at the changelog in 2013, and and then now where it's at today. That's excellent. Yeah, you know, going back a bit, you mentioned that your success at the um, Muzak was due to your passion and that you cared cared about your customers, right? And right, about right, sales. of course. What was it like working at Pure Charity uh, where the mission is is very different from most like web companies? <laughs> Uh, scary, hard, exhilarating, um, in many ways make you crumble into tears because you think (laughs) like the people you're helping is like, like I, I started there as the UX designer Mm -hmm. and I ultimately stepped up to be the product manager, which is a pretty big role to lead a product, to lead Mm. the direction of it, the, the user experience of it, the design of it, the people building it. It wasn't just me. It was a team of people. But I got to be in this very pivotal role over time. And 
I, I would say it's extremely 100 percent 90 degrees 180 degrees difference than building a startup like a startup who's like Twitter trying to gain profit and market share it's completely different because you're you're impacting lives you're not yeah you're not focused on the bottom line but you do have to focus on the bottom line too because you're a nonprofit you're trying to be sustainable so you do have to be sustainable in ways that make sense for the future so in a way you have to make money but you you make partners you don't hmm. gain clients hmm. you know you you make relationships you care about people you don't just get signatures on a bottom line yeah and yeah. it's very different than like day-to-day -day businesses yeah it sounds a lot like working um for any kind of ministry you know where you're or a nonprofit with it's that where you're you care deeply about um the you know the the end result and if you could the end user um yeah. you know where i work now we do a lot of work for convoy of hope and the it's it's tough sometimes you know because they'll be like okay we have to make this site for um, the Nepal relief fund and we need it up by this time because we're trying to get donations so that we can send people down there to help and so right. it's like okay well on the one side it's the business thing of this is another web page but on the other end like this web page pulls in money so that they can send people down there to change lives and the the it's such a neat pressure you know, it is weird it, it's almost like kind of this phantom industry um that if you're like us and you care about both sides of that coin i i, I hear you just the the churches and ministries i've worked for in the past you know that tension exists of like what it, what am i like today i care more about this and tomorrow i care more about that and i have to go back and forth and <laughs> it's it's also very hard to from day to day once you're in it you know, once you kind of get past the quote unquote glamour or lack of glamour of working for a nonprofit, you kind of do get into this day to day work habit. Right. And it's it's hard to say, OK, we run a sprint. We, we run a scrum team who who runs as an agile team. We're a team of five or six software developers. Uh, we have to deliver a product. So the things don't change. It's. It's who it who we're delivering it to and what we're delivering it for that changes. Hmm. And in some ways, in some ways it gets very, very hard to kind of blur those lines because you care so much about the people that you're gonna impact because because that's what the point of the whole thing is. Mm -hmm. But at the same time, you're you're sort of trapped by it in a way because you know, it's easy to work more than four hours a week. It's easy to work sixty hours, seventy hours a week. And uh, and also not get paid for it because you're a nonprofit or you have a tight budget, and so as a as a person who is an in, in an industry that is budding and growing and full of opportunity, it's a very very tempting world to live in hmm. because on one side you can freelance and make twice as much, three times as much as your current salary. Right. On one side, you can build your own company and make twice as much, three times as much, or the sky's the limit, depending on who you are. Or you can stay where you're at and be totally um, sacrificial in your in your financing, in your family. And in some ways, that can really get to you. Yeah. Hmm. And over time, it has a chance to sort of derail or degrade your your purpose and your point. Yeah, and even the love, you know, that comes from that deeper desire, like you talked about uh, when you started off in this, was as you start to explore and learn things. And I know because um, I worked with a guy who just recently made this decision as well. And he said, you know, I really need to go back to 
development. Like I, I'm a team leader. I'm, you know, I'm doing this and this and this. He's like, but really I need to get back into code because that's what pushed me into this industry was my desire to learn and to build things and to do right. stuff, you know? And so you kind of get that calling back to your roots a little bit. Uh, and sometimes you got to do that, you know, and even if it's just for a season, you got to go back and kind of reset because that's what invigorates you and keeps you moving. I don't want to, I mean, I think my history at Pure Charity was awesome. I love their mission. I think they're a phenomenal team with a phenomenal mission with a, with just, just the, the oyster wide open for them. But my time there was well spent. My time there was a good season of my life and I'm in a different season of my life now that has just as much joy hmm. and just as much impact to this world as it did there. It just wasn't, it's just not anymore in nonprofit. It's just in different ways. Yeah. Well, so you, you talk about seasons of life and things like that. I mean, it, so kind of to shift gears slightly here, have you always been uh, a Midwest boy or did you, I know you went in the military, but like, did you, you know, no, did you grow up I in was, different spaces or? I grew up in Southwestern Pennsylvania. Beautiful country, by the way. I mean, nice. it's, it's, it's awesome there. Love it. Miss it. Miss four seasons. Right now I live in Houston, Texas, which we have <laughs> one and a half seasons. Maybe a half of our lucky. It's mostly just one season. <laughs> um, and I really miss the four seasons. Hmm. So I grew up in, in Pennsylvania, grew up around hills, grew up around trees. We have trees here in Texas, but they're they're the kind of trees that can last like 110 degree weather. And they're so they're not real trees in my opinion. They're just <laughs> sort of like fake trees. But they're real. They they breathe oxygen back out to us. But uh, like every other tree should. Um, so no, I didn't grow up here in Texas, but at the same time, I will wholeheartedly say Texas forever because I love Texas. Hmm. I love the state. I love the people. I think they're awesome. Everybody here really cares from what I can tell about this country and where it's going from politics to, you know, to the way things should be. And the, you know, the news, people listen to the news, people read the newspaper. They're not just caught. They're just not like absent-minded. Hmm. You know, there, there are people who really care about the direction of our country and the direction of our children, the direction our parents take our children, the direction our schools take our children, and the the way that, uh, you know, software's developed. You know, hmm. we love software here in Houston. We love software in Austin, Dallas, San Antonio. Those are all the big cities here in Houston, in, uh, in the state of Texas. Yeah. So I love Texas, you know, but I'm from Pennsylvania. Yeah. Well, that's cool. That, and, and there is a lot of software development that happens in Texas. I know I've, I've looked at multiple positions down there over the years and it's like, man, there's just a lot going on down here. I mean, I know it's a big state, but right. it's a, but I love that. You know, I love you could that, drive all day yeah. and not make it through Texas. That's how big it is. But I love, I love that, that, you know, here, I mean, there was an aerospace, um, company that went to Texas, relocated from California, um, that, you know, if I can like do my little Midwest pride here thing for a second, because they had opportunities there with, between the taxation and between being able to kind of pick where they wanted to be based and it not being overcrowded, like in that area where they wanted, they went to a small town and it's this aerospace tourism industry. And they, they chose Texas because of all of the benefits it would give their company over the next end number of years. And, you know, it just, I, I love that as you dig deeper and you're willing to kind of drive around and explore a little bit, you find these, these gems that are hidden in the Midwest and, and, you know, people oh, yeah. doing amazing work that you just wouldn't think about unless they're like, Oh, you know, you must live in New York city because you do this thing and nothing against New York city. It's a cool place, but like there's something to be said for 
people running amazing podcasts from Houston, you know, <laughs> and I just think there's so much potential in this open landscape that we have, uh, you know, in this part of the country. Yeah. Did you notice like a cultural, sh- a cultural shift from Pennsylvania to Texas? Oh, yeah. hundred percent. What mean, was that like? Well, see, my the history of me, though, doesn't doesn't just go from PA to Houston. And uh-huh. if it did, I could give that contrast, but it doesn't. So I went from Pennsylvania into the military, spent time in the military, not only not only getting trained and doing the job I was trained to do, um, which was refuel helicopters. I worked on a FARP, F-A-R-P, <laughs> not, not a bad word, a good word. It's called Forward Area Refueling Point. And that's when the that's Kiowas, the Blackhawks, the mm-hmm. Chinooks all land, blades rolling. And you see dudes and women roll out there with with, uh, you know, pipes in hand to like refuel this thing and like all this different stuff. And we do that in battle. Right. Hmm. But I went to Bosnia, spent time overseas for nine months and, uh, you know, saw some really unique things happen to, to the world because of warfare and because of, you know, just different things happen. Uh, I can't give you an exact comparison from, from there to here. Because yeah. it's not a one-to-one. But if I went back there and I look back between the two, they have a lot of similarities, at least from southwestern Pennsylvania to Texas. Because in my opinion, and this is from a Pittsburgh boy coming back, coming down here, I see, in Austin at least, a little bit of hills. Not too many, but enough <laughs> to make it hill country. That's what they call it. Austin Hill Country. And I see wilderness. I see a lot of land. I see a lot of great people. And my mother... I actually spent a lot of time in Austin. So because of that, I think I have a little bit of Texas in my Pittsburgh roots because my mom loved Texas. And it's so weird, like looking back in your life and thinking, I ended up almost where my mom was at before she had me as a child. That's right? great. And nice. a place that she loved and she called home. Hmm. So I love Texas. There to hear, though... You know, it's just, it's just weather. <laughs> well, it is, it is vastly different. My, uh, my dad's side came from Texas and, or I'm from Pennsylvania and, uh, and, and it, it is very different. You know, I, I'm a Nebraska boy, so I kind of got the mix of everything, but, uh, but it, it's, it's probably more Texas than Pennsylvania and I, it is beautiful country up there. Oh yeah. I mean, uh, Southwestern PAA, it's so close to the Appalachian mountains beginning which stretch all the way down into Tennessee. You got the three rivers there, Yakagani, Monongahela, that all lead into the Ohio that ultimately feeds the Mississippi, which is like the river that divides this entire country. I mean, you got so much that comes from there. Hmm. You got the Mason-Dixon line. So if you go back into our history of actual of, of being a country, you had the North, you had the South, you had, you know, the Civil War and all these different things that like mark and shape and not not just the lands, but the people there, you know, how they think about the future, how they think about today yeah. and today's politics and today's world. And, you know, it's a, it's a beautiful history when you go back and look at it and a beautiful land when you look at it today. It's, it's so, so nice up there. I love it. Love visiting there. Well, and, and you mentioned um, just in the beautiful land that you've experienced all over the place, which by the way, we thank you for your service. I should have said that right away. Mm-hmm. Um, I actually didn't know that about you, that you had served in the military. Um, and uh, it, it's, I love the progression 
that we can get. And, and we've talked to some different people from all over the country, you know, over the past several episodes and, and people who've come from England and people who've lived in different places, people who've grown up in a small town and lived there their whole lives, you know, and, and it's just, it's so neat to hear the journey that, that we take, uh, and all the different ways that people get to where they are and stuff like that. So um, I have kind of a, a, a wrap-up question, but before that, I'd, I'd be interested to know where do you see kind of where you're going next? You know, like what what's kind of the next thing? Is it continuing and just ramping the change log up even more? I know you've done the Beyond Code thing, which is amazing. If nobody knows about that, beyondcode.com, correct? Dot .tv. Dot .tv, excuse me. You need to go check this out. It's really, really cool. Short videos with uh, people at conferences and... and um, you could probably explain it better than I can, but so kind of what's, what's like your next thing you're, you're working on? So the change log has been a podcast for a very long time. We've, we've had a lot of success on that side. I think the open source world really provides that success. We just sort of navigate it hmm. and, uh, we've got a lot of great partners that have helped the change log be what it is today. Um, hmm. but I've always had this idea of, of growing a media company, right? Not just a podcast, but someone, uh, a company who like journalistically covers what's happening in a particular niche. And I think the open source niche is growing. It's huge. Uh, I'm glad not in, not that many other people are paying that much attention to it because it gives us sort of a green uh, a blue ocean, so to mm-hmm. speak, to to uh, to navigate this world. But I love open source software. I love the community around open source software. I love the people around open source software. Hmm. They are so diverse. They're so deep. They're so loving. They're so caring. And it's such a unique uh, niche to serve. And that's, that's, that's what I love about it. But when, So when you ask what's coming next, um, we're focusing quite a bit of our energy on the next stages of our podcast, the next stages of our site. And as you've mentioned with Beyond Code, it's a brief interview series. We shoot at conferences after parties. So we've gone to Ruby conferences. We've gone to JavaScript conferences. We've gone to Golang conferences. Mm-hmm. And if you have a conference out there that you want us to come to, we will come to that that conference. But we shoot this brief interview series at an after party because that's when people are the most relaxed. We can get the most unique answers to questions like, who's your programming hero? Hmm. If you can go back in time and tell yourself how to program again, what would you tell yourself? You know, you get some really profoundly really deep answers to these questions that, that I think is like internal advice, but it gets filmed in a very unique, in a very creative way that helps the world learn from our own mistakes. So what's coming next to me for us is, uh, is a lot of focus on the visual, not just the audio. Yeah. No, I love it. And I was so excited when I saw that kick off because I'd heard rumors about it for a while and, and, uh, but you know, going through some of those videos, it was it was just so neat to see. Like, ah, oh, this is like this is the hidden side of of development right. that we don't get yeah. to hear. <laughs> We've that's got that's only awesome. got one season out there published, but we have four seasons recorded. Wow! And uh, the reason why we haven't released every one of them yet is because we're sort of like Netflixing it a little bit. Yeah. We want to release the entire season all at once, um, and we're planning for the future. And and it took us a little bit. Oddly enough, I wish Jerry was here to, 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 to mention this with me, but as good as we are at web development, we weren't that good with getting our own site up. So it took <laughs> us a while. We, we, we got the hard thing done, right? Recording really awesome video with really awesome people at conferences and traveling and taking equipment and learning all these new skills and, 
editing and mm -hmm. all this stuff that's really hard for us to learn. We learned all that really easy and we did all that really easily. But what we didn't do was launch a site and a plan very well. And <laughs> that's because we're a small team and yep. we're also growing in a way that to me is like, it's a clear sign we should go in this direction. Either one, our partners are wanting us to go there. Our sponsors are thinking like, this is a really great fit for you guys. We should go this direction. Uh, or the community members that support us. Uh, if you don't know, the change all is supported by members. Um, we love our members. We launched in a, in a way that we thought, we launched the membership in a way we thought that would actually support us fully. Um, but that didn't work out to the full benefit we thought it would be. But we love our members. We love what they uh, do for us. We love how they help us <laughs> see the future of where we should be at. Um, but Beyond Code is a lot of fun. We have a lot of great things happening in terms of what we're doing with films, I think, is that's to me is really unique, is we're, we're helping conferences. We're helping companies produce documentaries and commercials in a way that's unique to the software development community that has one part creative, one part filmmaker, and one part software developer all mixed mm. together. And there's not a film company out there that's good at software development. And there's not many software development companies out there that's good at making films. Right. But we're that. Yeah. And so if you're a company out there that's like, man, we would really benefit from telling our story differently through visuals, that's what we're trying to do. See, we're trying to find yeah. really unique ways to, to, to do film development. And, that, and cool. I, I love that approach because as a creative and a coder, which I know you have to be creative to code and I don't want to get angry emails, but you know, as, as someone who, who codes for a living but is rooted in writing and video and photography and things like that, I when I saw that, it was just one of those, ah, perfect, you know, just like this great mesh moment. So again, if you haven't checked that out, uh, beyondcode.tv, that's a really, really great resource. Um, so I have one, one last question for you. So if you were to look back at your younger self, and this could be your 18-year-old self, your, your two-year-old self, um, you know, at whatever stage you choose, if you could go back and give yourself some sage wisdom from what you know now, what would that be? Never stop. Don't take no for an answer push open doors. Uh, I mean, so many doors, so many no's, so many, you can't do that. How can you do that? Hmm. Um, I, I mean, I don't know how far back I'd go to say that to myself. I think I go back as far as I can to understand what don't take no for an answer means. <laughs> and that means like, you know what? Everybody is capable of exactly what their mind says they can do. You're only, you're only real enemy is yourself, right? Fear will stop you from doing most things in life. But once you find a way to remove that fear and step away from those no's and turn them into yeses or just don't care about them, the, the next step is just like the place you can go to. Hmm. And, uh, to me, I would probably just rewind and just say, just don't take no for an answer. Just keep pushing. Keep doing what you got to do to get past this step in life. And there's always there's always something that will draw you to it. There's always something that's going to tell you no. There's always something that's going to be in your way. So get used to it hmm. and just keep persevering. Very cool. <laughs> Man, that is excellent. Uh, wow. Thank you so much, Adam, for talking with us today this is really fun 
I think you've got an awesome podcast here, man. I love it. I, uh, the Midwest is awesome. And uh, you guys are awesome, too, for doing it. So thank you for hosting it. And thank you for all that you do for those out there who are making and doing. Yeah, absolutely. Well, we appreciate your time and, and uh, look forward to seeing you at uh, CirclesConf this year down in, in Dallas. That'll be, that'll be a good time. It's always a great, great way. And that, again, that's kind of how we met. And so podcasting is bringing people together. And I, I love this medium. And it's, it's a ton of fun mm. to play in. Um, so you can get to know Adam by a couple different ways. Uh, first, you can go to the changelog, which is changelog.com, or you can go to changelog on Twitter, uh, or you can hit up Adam directly at adamstack, A-D-A-M-S-T-A-C, on Twitter as well, and get to know him, see some of the stuff he's doing. Make sure, like I said, make sure you check out that Beyond Code. It is it is really neat, and it's going to go places. It is places. Beyond Code. It, <laughs> it is Beyond, beyond Code. code. <laughs> but you can learn more about this show by visiting us at spiritofthemidwest.fm, um, if you like the show, or even if you don't, leave us a review on iTunes. It really does help. And we appreciate all the feedback of any kind. Um, of course, we always appreciate if you're generous, but, you know, we'll take either one because we want to be better and we want to get better at this. And so thank you, as always, for tuning in. And please join us next time as we celebrate the spirit of the Midwest. Midwest.